0: Wow, wow. I did that up at the Green Mountain Tavern in there. I, I can almost remember... No, I got blood out of it, so... I can almost remember the guy's name, Dave, Big Mountain of a Man, spoke here one time. I, I can't quite remember his last name. But he and I were witnessing up in Bristol, and we, we witnessed to a number of people on the green. And we broke up, and we started going door to door. And he apparently got too pushy with one guy, and he came back. He came back holding his cheek like this. I said, "What happened?" He said, "I think I pushed it a little too far." <laughs> I, I can honestly say I've never been struck for uh, witnessing too much. I, I, I hope I'm never struck for not witnessing at all, you know. But uh, I, I, I really do believe that, uh, in our own way, we find ways to be faithful, even though we're frightened, you know. And when he had thus spoken, that ends that parable. He went before ascending up into jerusalem Uh, you always go up to jerusalem because it's on a hill Uh, and let's try the cookie here so this this is a map you see jericho on your left Uh, up near up near the uh, i don't know if this will help you i i i have to imagine you can see that right so he's walking all the way down here and the next place we're at is going to be in bethany and it looks like it's a 300 mile walk it's, it's actually 15.7 miles if you take the road that they think that Jesus walked on. And I read a guy, Todd Bolin, B-O-L-E-N. He said he walked it with his friends in eight hours and they stopped a couple of times to rest. Uh, Luke 29 says, And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany. Apparently they're right next to each other. And the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. Now, just to put you in a map like this, Uh, mind here. If you look to your right uh, is the Mount of Olives, and honestly, I've never heard of the Mount of Offense. Do they call it that when you were there, Mary? I don't recall that. I don't recall that either, but not that I've been there, but she has, uh, I think, more than once, right? Two times, yeah. Anyway, the path you can see, oh, you can't see it on this map. Well, anyway, on my map, it shows a very light line that traces out and comes up between those two mountains. And then you'll see in the photographs later, you will see there's a mountain on either side. And the trail from, uh, from Jericho down to Bethany makes it down to there. And then you actually go downhill to this little creek in, in the Kidron Valley, and then you go up. So you actually start down, and then you go back up. And this, this makes sense if you, as you read Luke, you'll see Luke actually got it right. Now, it's thought that this trip from Jericho to Bethany and to Jerusalem was a trip that Jesus made many, many times in his lifetime, uh, coming from Galilee. Now, the thing that, that I I don't know what, when you think about maps, but in my mind, I've always pictured it flipped around, that Jesus was approaching from the left, and he was coming in from the west side, but but he's coming in from the east side. I had everything turned around. I don't know why, because this is the eastern gate, Uh, this is Eastern Gate here, that Jesus would always enter in because it was the shortest distance to the temple. But in my mind, somehow I had this map turned around. So I included this map maybe for myself more than for you. But he came in from the east, uh, not from the west. Uh, Verse 30, saying, Go ye into the village over against you. Now he's at Bethany. And uh, in in the which at your entering, you shall find a colt tide whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. So this is unbroken, an unbroken donkey. Uh, and if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. I don't know. You know, commentators can't agree whether this is some code that Jesus had prearranged, which I believe it was. Uh, I believe Jesus set this up ahead of time. And I, I, I don't think. That the disciples would be able to just go up and grab a colt from anyone and say the Lord hath need of him. But maybe, uh, maybe it was just all set up in spirit, but I don't think so. I think Jesus had this set up, and I think the owner knew Jesus, and I think he recognized the disciples. I could easily be wrong about that, but what Jesus says will happen happens exactly. Now, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen in his life before he even came to earth. So none of this stuff seems to take him by surprise. And they did uh, that they were sent and went their way and found even as he had said of them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, him being the colt. And they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus thereon. So for three and a half years, Jesus would tell people whenever he healed them, not every time, but many times you read in your New Testament, to keep it a secret. And on the few times that he identified himself to people, uh, the woman at the well, to uh, the disciples when, uh, when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God, uh, he, he charged people to not make it known. Jesus did not want anyone Jesus, I'll say this another way, Jesus did not want to clearly proclaim to Israel that he was the king of Israel until this particular day. He was waiting for this day to come. And he'd been waiting since the foundation of the world, since the first promise. So for three and a half years, he would silence people, even though he would hint about it. But his purpose was to wait for this particular day, which Chuck Messler believes was May 2nd, I'm going to get this wrong. I have it written down later. May 2nd, uh, 0032, Uh, verse 36. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. His followers knew what this meant. They knew because of this verse in Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and shout, O O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now, when you read Matthew, you'll find that the mother of the colt is with them. But Jesus is riding an unbroken colt, which sort of speaks to his ability as God to tame this thing, even though this colt had never been broken. And his disciples, knowing that verse in Zechariah that I put up there, uh, these guys that, that are in this crowd Uh, they have traveled with Jesus. Not all of them, but some in that crowd have traveled with Jesus all the way from Capernaum. And, And we've been doing this ever since Luke chapter 14. We've been following the exit from Capernaum all the way down into Jericho last Sunday and now here. We've been following this for weeks now as they walk down. Well, people have been adding to the crowd at every town they stop because all the men have to be in Israel for the Passover. It's a required attendance, if you will. So whether or not they brought their wives and children was optional, but all the men had to be at the synagogue for Passover. That was required. So they had gotten quite a crowd, and this is the crowd Now, understanding, having watched Jesus heal so many people, having watched Jesus do so many miracles, they believed He was the Messiah. And Jesus kept saying that this is our last trip. So people are starting to wonder what's going to happen when we get Jerusalem. They're, they're expecting uh, that their Messiah would take over Rome. They're expecting their Messiah would take over Israel, that he would take over the world. And you know, they kind of got their hopes up a little bit because the first thing he does next week, the first thing he does next week when he gets into Jerusalem, as he goes in and for a second time, he overturns the tables of the money changers and uh, kicks people out. Of that area, uh, and and again says you should not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Uh, so these people have traveled with Jesus a long time. Now this is not a painting. This is a photograph, and this is that mountain that said what was the, what did I say it was Mount of Offense. It's never I've never heard it called that. On on your right, and this is this is the actual path coming down with the with the. Uh, with as you can see, this is today. So there's modern housing to your right, but this is very much on your left. Would be the Mount of Olives. This is very much what it what it would have looked like. I have a painting that a guy tried to imagine what it would look like for Jesus, and when he was come, come, when he was come nigh, he's starting down that first downhill towards the Kidron. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now this crowd had been following him for a long time, and each city they picked up more and more. And now there is starting to become quite a celebration. And they were saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now that's a portion of what they were singing and they were singing Psalm 118. I'm gonna start reading at verse 24, Psalm 118, 24. This is a psalm you know, because it starts with, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The next verse says, uh, save us now. And in the Hebrew it's Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed be thee, the o Lord. I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that shall cometh in the name of the Lord. I've got my nose cut off here. I've got to raise it up a little bit here. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Psalm 118, God is the Lord. Now, (laughs) this song is what has the Pharisees in the crowd upset because they're literally claiming not only that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're claiming that Jesus is God. And the Pharisees are thinking, no, no, this can't, this can't be right, you can't be doing this. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. You know, you do not want your disciples to be blaspheming. They're calling you the Messiah. Now, of course, the downside of that argument is he was the Messiah and there's no way he was gonna stop them from it because this is the day. And I'm gonna get into the calendar in a little bit and show you how we know this is the day. And he answered, Jesus answered to the Pharisees and said, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. That this day, this particular day, was planned and predicted from before the foundation of the world. God had this in his mind before he ever became a human. And he told uh, the, the angel Gabriel those dates, and those dates were set from five centuries before this particular day. There was no way that Jesus was going to stop His disciples from from singing. There's no way He was going to stop this day. He'd waited way too long for it. So this is that painting that I was telling you about. And when He was come near... Now, this is a grand celebration. This this is the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. This is the most exciting time in all the history of Israel as the Messiah climbs on a donkey and rides into town. And you think, oh, a donkey, a donkey. Donkeys, believe it or not, are what King David would ride on. The the kings also rode horses, but they rode horses when they they were at war. But a king riding a donkey was a symbol of humility and peace. And, And there was actually a donkey that was the king's donkey when David was the king. And his son Absalom stole that donkey and rode it through town, telling people, I am now the king. So to ride a donkey is to declare yourself the king of Israel. So that's an important point here. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. So at this wonderful, exciting revival that Linda was talking about, you think, oh, everything is going so well. Jesus stops. I believe he got off his donkey, sat down on the hillside and started to weep. Now you can see down down to the Kidron Valley and and back up to Jerusalem in the distance in that painting. Not a photograph. Now that's what they imagined it looked like 2,000 years ago. This is a photograph. This is what Jesus said when he was weeping. If thou hast known... Uh Uh-oh, that doesn't show up very well. i got a cloud right behind this thy day. If thou hast known even now, at least in this thy day, this day, This is the one day you should have known. That's what Jesus is saying. If thou hadst known, even now, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Now, I I never thought about this before, but when Jesus said that, he was declaring that the gospel was hidden now from the Jews because he knows they're going to reject him. Now this picture is from uh, is towards Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. This is after two thousand years of desolations and war that we're going to talk about in just a minute. They should have known. They should have just counted the days. They were given the date upon which their Messiah would show up. They knew. They had just had to count one hundred eighty-three, no, one hundred seventy-three thousand eight hundred and eighty days. That's all you had to do. You just Count them all. Put little marks on the wall. Now, the question is always asked, what if they would have received Him as their Messiah? What would have happened? Now, we asked that question in a class one day and the professor said, well, I believe the millennium would have begun. Israel would have received her king. The promised king has arrived. It was a... Of course, the question there, was this a genuine offer of the kingdom? Well, I believe it was a genuine offer of the kingdom to Israel. And I believe had they received him, the millennium would have begun. You and I would have never been born, unless we were born in the millennium. Uh, We would have never existed. The whole church would have never existed. Now, you know, we owe our existence to Israel. So it's, it's an interesting thought. And Paul makes that point but through the fall of Israel, the Gentiles are saved. So we have this promise and this hope of salvation because of that day when the Jews decided they didn't want Jesus to reign over them. But I do believe had they received him, you wouldn't see all those graves on the Mount of Olives. I have a better picture of that. It's just thousands and thousands of graves. Israel would not have gone through the pain and the suffering that they've gone through for the last 2,000 years. Israel would not have suffered from that. Bring my notes up again here. Yeah, I got it covered. Good. So I'm going to take you back now to Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 9. We're only going to look at four verses, we're not going to do the whole chapter. But after a lifetime, of service to the kings, I should say what I should have written there is after a lifetime of slavery to the kings of Babylon and Persia, Daniel is reading Jeremiah chapter 25. And as he's reading that, he has discovered that they are at the end of the captivity. There's less than a year left on the captivity. He He knew that Israel was going to have an opportunity to go home. Curiously enough, the vast majority of them stayed in Babylon. And, and and compromise what some people like to think of as the lost tribes of Israel, but in this case, it was just a small portion of them that returned. Because he knows the time is short, we believe the time is short now, right? Because he knew the time was short, he set out to praying a prayer of repentance, and he started praying fervent, fervently in chapter nine until he gets interrupted in his prayer by a presence that shows up in his room. And that presence is the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel is gonna tell him everything that's gonna happen to Israel from Daniel's age, all right, 500 BC, all the way up until now, only this morning, I began to wonder if I'm gonna tell you this correctly, but I believe it's all the way up until we enter into the millennium. Uh, So the entire history of Israel is going to be covered in the next four verses. And in that, there's going to be something left out. It's called an ellipsis, and that's called the church age. And you're going to see it. You're going to see it outlined here as as the angel does that. So this is the, the famed prophecy of 70 weeks that Gabriel gave to Daniel somewhere around 500 B.C., maybe 450, 490, 475, I don't know. 500 years before Christ is a sloppy way of saying it. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Now, the word week doesn't appear in the Hebrew. It's actually seven. Seventy sevens. Seventy periods of seven are determined upon thy people. And it's open, so it's, it's open to contextual interpretation of whether that means weeks or months or years and and because of the character of this this it's believed that the proper interpretation is 70 weeks of years are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city now i'll go through this in detail but notice what's going to happen in in 70 weeks all right in 70 weeks now obviously we're not talking about seven day weeks It's actually seven-year weeks. This is what's going to happen. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now I break this down here. Gabriel gets this message. He covers from Babylon to the millennium, and the first thing that's going to happen is it's going to be over 70 periods of seven, or 490 years. So that's the first thing. You have 490 years to crown your king, right? The last thing on that list was crown your king. Okay, to anoint the most holy. The next thing was you'd finish the transgression and make an end of sin. Well, it's been longer than 490 years, so we know there's something missing here, right? There's detail here that's being left out because if you haven't been watching the news Turn it on tomorrow morning, and you will find that sin is still very much active in our world. Okay, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now, we could argue that Jesus' death on the cross made re- reconciliation for iniquity. Iniquity is that twisted nature that sin leaves us in. And Jesus has re- has, I think that's the right word, reconciled us to God through his blood. So that twisted nature of sin has been paid for. And that fallen nature that we carry around is covered in the blood, which I'm very thankful for. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Well, again, watch the news. That ain't happened yet. Uh, Hasn't happened yet. To seal up the vision and the prophecy. And I, I assume that means to close the book on everything that's been prophesied. All right. It just means close the book. We got it all done, you know. And finally... To anoint the most highly, the most holy. And I assume that means anoint Jesus as king of the world. I I think that's clearly what he's saying. You've got 490 years to get it done, Daniel. I believe if, if Israel would have accepted Jesus as their Messiah, that's all it would have taken was 490 years. Their rejection, I believe, stopped this clock. And until... That's what Jesus said. You remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about that as he walked out. He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. I pulled that verse out of Matthew. I don't know if you remember me talking about that a couple of weeks ago or not. That was a judicial declaration by the king and judge of the universe that Israel's time with God has stopped. The stopwatch has stopped. And now Jesus said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The clock will start again when Israel prays for Jesus, they'll recognize he was the Savior, he'll recognize he was their Messiah, they'll pray and ask God to forgive him, and the clock will start again. Uh, and that, that's after that last week of years, that last seven years, which we call the tribulation, the Bible calls Jacob's trouble—it's about Israel. See, let me move on. So we know there were three actual uh, commandments to return, and only one actually mentions the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And and that's not just in biblical documents; that's in secular documents. You know, world history. Some people don't trust the Bible, but they'll trust world history. I'm not sure that's a good idea, but. That's what they trust. But we, we have this, March 14th, 445 B.C., Artaxerxes Longimanus uh, made the decree to go back and rebuild uh, the temple. So we have, we have that date. So really, uh, all we have to do is count 183,880 days and the Messiah will come. Now, there are some problems with that. And one of them is that we keep changing the calendar uh, and, and that doesn't help. So this is the next verse. In that passage, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, March fourteenth, four forty-five, unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall in even in troublous times. Now you notice something here. When Gabriel retold this, he says seven weeks first, and then three score and two. So that's something you need to pay attention to, and that'll be in the next slide. So from the order to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah will be 483 years. You see the math of how that's come to. All right? So there are two periods indicated in that last verse. The first part is the seven weeks. And the first seven weeks was used to clear debris and rebuild the walls. And then... The three score and two weeks. Uh, score is twenty, so that's sixty-two weeks to rebuild the temple and reestablish Israel as a nation, and then the Messiah is going to come. A total of four hundred and eighty-three years until the Messiah. Easy, easy to 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 understand. Uh, and after the three score and two weeks, so with the seven weeks have passed, then the three score and two weeks have passed. Then shall Messiah be cut off. Well, I was wondering. I, 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 I want to highlight those in red to emphasize for me, but a lot of people think red is Jesus speaking, and I didn't want to confuse you with that. So after the three score, so the seven weeks have passed, then the three score in two weeks, the 62 weeks has passed, then Messiah shall be karat in the Hebrew, which means executed for capital crime. And you think, whoa, wait a minute. Didn't anybody notice this in the Old Testament that Israel was going to kill their Messiah? You know, do they not read their scriptures? Well, obviously not. Uh, but he'll be be executed for a capital crime. And then Gabriel goes on and says, but not for himself. He didn't, he isn't executed for his capital crimes. He's executed for my capital crimes and yours. What an amazing passage of scripture this is. 500 years before Jesus Christ, but not for himself. And then he says, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Wait a minute, wait. They're not teaching that prophecy in the synagogues in 400 years before Christ, were they? The prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. A flood means a constant stream of judgment. And unto the end of the war, unto the end of the war, you know, did you know you were in a war? If you were a Jew, you'd know you were in a war, right? A lot of Christians realize now we're in a war. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. This is not about the church. This is about... Jews. This is about Daniel's people. Now, of course, I emphasize the part that the Messiah is going to be executed after 483 years. You can just count the days on that. It's not difficult to do. I've got some notes here. I want to make sure I've got covered everything. Yeah, that's good. So we know in March 14, 445 B.C., or Xerxes, Lange, Monace, and I'm not going through all this math. I'm going to tell you how you can go through it if you want to. Uh, Artaxerxes Longimanus. And by the way, I, I, in, in previous slides, I've spelt Longimanus wrong, apparently, or they spell it differently now than they did a couple of thousand years ago. And it's actually two words, and it just means long fingers. Apparently, he had freakishly long fingers. I don't know. But all the kings were called Artaxerxes, so you've got to separate them somehow. Which Artaxerxes? Oh, yeah, the one with the freakishly long fingers? Yeah, that one, yeah, Longimanus, yeah. Anyway, he gave the commandment March 14 445. Now, if you're interested in this, look up Sir Robert Anderson, a head of Scotland Yard. He was a lay preacher and author of many Christian books. His book, however, The Coming Prince is the most famous, especially on this particular subject. Now, do I have it? Let me get the next let me get the next slide up here. If you just take what the angel said, You take 445 BC and you subtract 483 years, you come to 38 AD. AD. Now that's close, isn't it? I mean, it's surprisingly close because we think he was executed in 32. So he's six years off, right? But we change calendars. And prophetic years are not 365 days, they're 360 days. So you have to take 483 years. Do I have it here? Let me see if I have it. Oh, no, no, I just have after that, Messiah should be executed. Am I getting ahead of myself? I may be. But anyway, if you adjust for a prophetic year, I have these, I have these uh, numbers somewhere on one of these slides. Uh, see if I have it. But uh, we know he's going to be killed, but not for himself. Then a prince will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary until the end. These are the main points of that prophecy. Uh, so if, if and Jews weren't using the Gregorian calendar, and they weren't using the a 365-day year, but if they were using our calendar, they would come to uh, March 14, 38 AD, and they would have missed the crucifixion of Jesus by six years, but still, it's remarkably close when you're considering 500 years has passed. Now, Chuck Messler likes to use the date April 6, 32, and I think I'm going to get into that, but I, at least I hope I am. Uh, Anyway, uh, and then you, you see the outline. The Messiah will be executed. It won't be for him. He'll die for our sins. After that, the prince will come. That's Titus. And and the, the I don't know. There was, it's like the eleventh, twelfth, and fifteenth Roman legions. There, there was as many as a hundred thousand soldiers that surrounded it. And unto the end, uh, notice the gap. Notice the gap. Executed not for himself. A prince will come, destroy the city, and then until the end, desolations are determined. That's that's. Israel for the last 2,000 years. Until the end, desolations are determined. Now, let me see. I don't want to leave this until I get... Yeah, that's, that's close enough. Oh, I see it here. Okay. So if, if you were to, to go back to that 445 B.C. at 483 years, and instead of multiplying it by, by 365, if you were to multiply that by 360 days in a year... Uh, which is the way they counted, uh, then the problem was th- they, they knew even then that the year was longer than 360 days. So what they did, they had a leap week, and they'd just throw it in now and then uh, when, whenever they wanted to line their calendar up with the stars or whatever method they were using to do their calendars. But if, if you just took, without any worrying about without worrying about leap days, leap weeks, uh, without worrying about errors and calendars, if you just took, if you just sit there with your calculator and you take 483 years times 360 days in a year, you come to, and then you subtract that, I'm sorry, then you subtract that number from March 14, 445, you come to, thir- to March 14th, 31.386 A.D., So that's within. So without doing anything other than switching from a 365-day year to a 360-day year, which prophecies are based on, you will actually get within the. You'll be in the same year that Jesus was executed. All right, and 31.3, January, February, March. A little scary, isn't it? 500 years before Christ. That's without doing any of the leap year adjustments or any of the, the calendar studies that Sir Robert Anderson did. Uh, let's move on. Now we have that final week because there's a week missing, right? It was 69 weeks, but I thought it was 70 weeks. And he shall confirm this is the final week. This this is Daniel 9.27. This is the last one I think we do. And he shall confirm the covenant. What covenant? The covenant with Israel, the Abrahamic covenant, he'll he'll you know, he'll confirm the Abrahamic covenant. So I, I've often said, you know, I'm a dispensationalist. So I, I think when Israel failed to receive their Messiah, even though a lot of individual Jews did, and 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 ever since then, billions of people, Jews and Gentiles alike, have received Christ as their Savior. But when Israel dropped the ball, and and Jesus said, "Behold, your house is left unto you desolate." From that point in time on, it's been up to us to carry the gospel message to the world. Missions became our responsibility. And I believe when he reconfirms the Abrahamic covenant, and he should be a blessing to all people, the Abrahamic covenant, when he reaffirms the Abrahamic covenant with Israel, that period of time we call the tribulation, Israel will once again have the responsibility of sharing the gospel with the world. And you will notice as you read the book of the Revelation that you'll get in there just about five or six chapters and he's anointing 144,000 Jewish witnesses to go out and share the, the message that the king is coming with the whole world. Church is not in the picture at all. We're no longer witnessing. We're, we're upstairs enjoying a, a wonderful meal and I don't know what the rest of our work is. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. Now, this is one of the reasons we know that the, uh, the temple is in operation during the tribulation period, because Antichrist is going to come in and stop it. Now, we know that from Daniel, and we know that from reading the book of the Revelation. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. In other words, he's going to be so nasty, he's going to make it impossible to worship in the temple even until the consummation, which is when God wraps his whole thing up, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All right. So here's that unused, promised last week. We call it the last week of Daniel, or Israel's 70th week, the one that's been missing when you did the 483. Oh, let me click on that. So here's the outline once again. I, I may be tiring you with that, I'm sorry. Uh, From the order to rebuild Jerusalem, 445 B.C., 69 weeks have passed uh, until the Messiah is executed. One more week remains, uh, and 38 years later, after Jesus was executed, I I, I didn't do any background research on this, but the time from Jesus' execution until the fall of Jerusalem is the exact same amount of time that Israel wandered in the wilderness. Now, we always say 40 years, but Chuck will point out that it wasn't actually 40 years. And I haven't done the research myself to back up Chuck. At that point, a prince comes and destroys the city and the temple. That happened in 70 AD with Titus and the Roman legion. But one week is missing. And this is Jesus. We're back now sitting on the Mount. The mountain going down past the Mount of Olives on his right and Bethany at his rear, looking at Jerusalem. For the day will come thee when thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and thee round about and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Wow. Does prophecy matter? You bet it does. Jesus said, if a good man at house had known at what hour the thief would come, he would not have suffered his house to be broken. If we're paying attention, we will not suffer our houses to be broken, will we? But you have to be paying attention. You have to know what's going on in the world. You have to know what's going on in the Bible. You have to know what's predicted. In his mind, this is what Jesus saw. In his eyes, he saw the beautiful city of Jerusalem rising up on the next hill away. But in his mind's eye, he was sitting there on that hillside, and this is what he saw. He could see the coming destruction. He could see his people persecuted from country to country for 2,000 years. He could not only see what we call the Holocaust, but he could see the Holocaust that Rome brought, that Spain brought, that Russia brought, and finally what Germany brought, and he wept. On what should have been a very happy occasion, the long-awaited Messiah now turns to sorrow as he knows they will reject him. Now, Josephus claims that at the, on that day when... Jerusalem fell, took about eight months, if my memory's correct. When when Jerusalem fell, they killed for weeks. It took them weeks to do this. 1,100,000 people by the sword. I had lots of more information by Josephus, but I chose not to share it because we're getting ready to eat. (laughs) Of which the majority were Jewish. Uh, He does make a note that I don't have a slide of uh, that said... You remember Jesus said, "When when you when you see the city circled about, get out of town." That's actually a warning to the Jews for the tribulation. But the Christians took it seriously. They actually believed in what what we crazy cranks call literal interpretation. <laughs> and when Jesus said, "When you see the troops gathering around the city, get out of town," they took that prophecy literally. They didn't sit around saying, "I wonder what Jesus meant." What, what do you think the spiritual application of that is? Uh, the application is pack up your bags and get out of town. And Josephus says that in the fall of Jerusalem, very, very few Christians were even killed. They all got out of town. Didn't know why, but they all got out of town. I know why Jesus told them to get out of town. 97,000 were taken as slaves. Now, you know, they only took the youngest and the best looking. Titus, uh, the the who would become Caesar, Caesar eventually. Uh, Titus reportedly has refused to accept a wreath of victory, saying that the victory did not come through his own efforts, but that he had merely served as an instrument of God's wrath. This is that picture of the graves. This is looking now to the west from Jerusalem. I don't know, it's, it's a kind of... Oh yeah, you can see. That's not even one thousandth of the number of Jews that have died. But he... These has got, the, the prophecy is that when Jesus comes, he's going to touch on the mountain just behind here. And they want to be the first ones raised. <laughs> they want to be there when Jesus comes back. You know, I, I think that's pretty cool. You know, I, I don't know. I, I was trying to think, how many people have been buried in this world since Adam? Wow. It's amazing. Now, when Jesus returns, he's, his, his foot is going to touch down there's going to be a huge chasm and then he's going to approach uh, he's going to approach Jerusalem and in the lower right let me get to the next slide this, the sad thing is that right right on the temple mount sits an Islamic temple the Jews still don't have a temple The next slide is a close-up of that same right-hand side of that last picture. The Jews, I have always said the Jews bricked that gate up because they didn't want their Messiah to come into it. Now, unfortunately, Google doesn't agree with me. And I'm going to read you what Google said. The Eastern Gate was sealed shut in AD 1540 to 41 by order of Suleiman the Magnificent, a sultan of the Ottoman Empire. It's believed that the reason for the closing of the Eastern Gate was to prevent the Jewish Messiah from gaining interest into Jerusalem. (laughs) I don't know. It seems funny to me that here's here's an Islamic leader that takes the literal interpretation of scripture seriously. And we sit in a church where millions don't, don't... Yeah, go ahead, Mary. Right in front of the eastern gate there, you can see some graves. Those are Muslim graves in front of the gate because the Muslims believe Jesus will not defile himself to to touch dead things and that he won't come through the eastern gate. That's their plan. When the the prophecy is that when his foot touches down, the earth will cleave, right? Is it right there in the Kildren Valley where it's going to cleave? That's true. That's true. I'm just thinking maybe if he cleaves, those, those graves will just fall out of the way anyway. But yeah, yeah I, I think that's as stupid of an idea as the guys at the very end of the last battle, the last war, point all their guns up at Jesus and start shooting at him. Like, I'm going to shoot God. He's not going to be able to come back. I think, wow. You. You, you, you believe in the literal interpretation, but you don't have any idea who God is. Anyway, I'll go on and read here. It says, uh, It's believed that the reason for the closing of the Eastern Gate was to prevent the Jew, Jewish Messiah from gaining entrance to Jerusalem. Jewish tradition states that the Messiah will pass through the Eastern Gate when He comes. Jewish tradition. Tradition. I love that. It's the Word of God says that the Messiah will pass through the Eastern Gate when He comes to rule. The Muslim Suleiman, am I saying that right? S-U-L-E-I-M-A-N, Suleiman, was attempting to thwart the Messiah's plans with a 16 foot of cement. The Eastern Gate has remained sealed for nearly the past 500 years. I love it. I I just love the stupidity of the world, you know. Well, I'm done. The question is, do you believe? Have you received him? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that his death paid the penalty for your sins? If so, repent of your sins and receive him as your Savior by simply saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and save me. Have you received him as your life changed as a result? Or have you, like Solomon, bricked up your heart? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Watch over us, I pray. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen.